You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Central banks may soon resort to their most powerful weapons against deflation, the printing press and the helicopter drop of money. It is a time for which Ben Bernanke, chairman of the Federal Reserve, has long prepared. Will this weaponry work? Unquestionably, yes. Used ruthlessly, it will eliminate deflation, but returning to normality thereafter will prove far more elusive. Mr Bernanke delivered a celebrated speech on the topic in November 2002, when still a governor. He spoke quite soon after the US stock market bubble burst in 2000. Policymakers then feared the US might soon follow Japan into deflation, that is, sustained declines in the general price level. Yet Mr Bernanke then insisted, I quote, that the chance of significant deflation in the US in the foreseeable future is extremely small, end of quote. He pointed to, I quote again, the strength of our financial system. Despite the adverse shocks of the past year, our banking system remains healthy and well-regulated, and firm and household balance sheets are for the most part in good shape. The words pride and fall come to mind. Six years and a housing-come-credit bubble later, Chairman Bernanke must be sadder and wiser. Mr Bernanke's view was also that, I quote again, the best way to get out of trouble is not to get into it in the first place. End of quote. The fear that reversing deflationary expectations would prove hard explains why the Fed has cut its official interest rate so quickly since the crisis broke in August 2007. Is deflation a realistic likelihood? Core measures of inflation strongly suggest not. But one measure of expected inflation the gap between yields on conventional and index-linked treasuries has collapsed to just 14 basis points. Moreover, yields on 10-year U.S. Treasury bonds are already where Japan's were in 1996, six years after the latter's deflation crisis began. Why then should central banks fear deflation? First, deflation makes it impossible for conventional monetary policy to deliver negative real interest rates. The faster the deflation, the higher real interest rates will be. Second, as explained by the great American economist Irving Fisher in the 1930s, debt deflation, the rising real value of debt as prices fall, then becomes a lethal threat. In the U.S., whose private sector gross debt soared from just 118% of gross domestic product in 1978 to 290% in 2008, debt deflation could trigger a downward spiral of mass insolvency, falling demand, and further deflation. Already the Fed has adopted a host of unconventional actions to keep the economy afloat. By September the 10th, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet had reached $2,245 billion, a jump of $124 billion over a week, and $1,378 billion over a year. It held a wide range of government and private paper, including $476 billion in Treasury securities, $448 billion in so-called term auction credit, $312 billion in commercial paper and $233 billion in other loans, 
which includes 57 billion of credit to AIG alone. If it keeps going, the Fed may soon become the largest bank in the world. Does it face any constraint? Not really. As Robert Mugabe has shown, anybody can run a printing press successfully. Once their interest rate hits zero, the Fed can perform much further easing. Indeed, it can create money without limit. Imagine what would happen if an alchemist could transform lead into gold at no cost. Gold would not be worth very much. But central banks can create infinite quantities of money at no cost to themselves. So they can certainly reduce its value to nothing without difficulty. Curing deflation is child's play in a fiat money that is a man-made money system. So what might central banks do? They might lower long-term interest rates by buying as many long-term government bonds as they wish, or by promising to keep short rates low for a lengthy period. They might lend directly to the private sector. Indeed, they might buy any private asset at any price and in any quantity they choose. They might also buy foreign currency assets, and they might finance the government on any scale they think necessary. Alternatively, the fiscal authorities can run a deficit of any size they wish and then finance it by issuing short-term paper that the central bank would have to buy to keep interest rates down. At the zero-rate boundary, fiscal and monetary policies become one. The central bank's sole right to make monetary policy is gone. But the reverse is also true. The central bank can send money to every citizen. This is the helicopter drop proposed by the late Milton Friedman and recently discussed by Eric Lonergan on the FT's Economist Forum. At this point, one might wonder why Japan has struggled with deflation for so long. I have little idea. But the explanation seems to be that the Bank of Japan did not wish to take such drastic measures, and the Ministry of Finance did not dare to force the point. Such self-restraint will not deter the U.S. authorities. So, will the Federal Reserve drown the world in dollars? whereupon we will be able to wake from the nightmare. As Willem Bauter shows in a recent blog called Confessions of a Crass Keynesian, the answer is no. Once inflation returns, the central bank will need to sell assets into the market to mop up the excess money it has created in fighting deflation. Similarly, the government must reduce its deficit to a size it can finance in the market. Otherwise, deflationary expectations may swiftly turn into expectations of above-target inflation. This may also happen if the debt sold in efforts to sterilize the monetary overhang is deemed beyond the government's ability to service. Countries without a credible currency may reach this point early. As soon as a central bank hints at quantitative easing, as it's called, flight from the currency may well ensue. This is particularly likely when countries remain burdened under a huge overhang of domestic and foreign debt. Creditors know that a burst of inflation would solve many problems in the US and the UK. The US may manage the danger of resurgent inflationary expectations. The UK is likely to find it far more difficult. Avoiding deflation is easy. Achieving stability thereafter will be far harder. Ironically, we are where we are partly because the Fed was so terrified of deflation six years ago. Now, a credit bubble later, Mr. Bernanke has to cope with what he then feared, largely because of the Fed's heroic attempts at prevention. 
Similar dangers now arise with the drastic measures that look ever more likely. This time, I suspect, the result will ultimately not be deflation, but unexpectedly high inflation, though probably many years hence. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.